0: I want to just launch us into our message for today because we've got a message. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter five and we're going to go through the purpose of our church. We're going to go through the values and the practices of our church because even though there's a changing of leadership, the values and the core of who we are as a community is staying the same. And we're going to continue to build on that foundation. So we're going to start with our purpose. Let's look at Matthew chapter five when Jesus himself gathers his disciples to articulate to them the purpose of this new, fledgling, emerging movement. Jesus has been doing miracles. He has been teaching with an authority that no one has ever sensed before in a rabbi or Pharisee, and people are being drawn to Jesus, and he's taking this moment to articulate to them the vision and the purpose that God has for this new movement. Let's read Matthew 5, verse 13. Jesus says, you, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven gosh, what a scripture. Listen, what I wanted to just point out right at the outset is when Jesus says you, it's in the plural form. He's speaking to this crowd of people and he's saying to this crowd of people, you are the salt, not you're going to become the salt or I'm going to help you, you know, somehow find your way to being salt and light. He's like, you already are just by virtue of being with me. You being here makes you something you are the salt and light. And when he's saying this, he's looking at a crowd of people who've been gathering around Jesus. Why? Because they have been the desperate ones who've needed the healing that he brings. They've been the ones that have needed help that nobody else could give. They're the humbled ones, the broken ones, the meek ones who've gathered around Jesus' teaching and healing ministry and it's this crowd, not of like experts, not of scholars, not of necessarily the best looking or the most powerful. It's this crowd of kind of like just ordinary nobodies. And to those people, Jesus says something radical. He says, You are the salt of the earth. This think about this little moment in this backward nowhere. Who knows where they are, place in the world. And he's saying, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light to the world. And there's this moment in which he's not talking first about what they're gonna go do. Jesus begins with, You are your identity. And he speaks into them who they truly are. And he's not putting on them the burden of what they got to go out and accomplish and do to become who they want to be. He's saying, you are already that person. And if you live true and faithful to who you are in me, you're going to live this life. It's going to look like salt in the earth. It's going to look like salt in that chocolate chip cookie. It's going to pow, make that chocolate, you know, just pop. You're going to be like that light in that dark room where for a while no one could see, but because you were there, people have light. And it's this moment where he's like lifting them up into this place of dignity and significance, not weighing them with the burden of what they had to accomplish, but lifting them and inspiring them with how the Father sees them, with a vision of who they are. This is your identity. This is who you are. You are God's salt, his light. But our identity gives shape to our purpose and what we're here to do. Here it is. You were created with a transcendent supernatural purpose, an eternal purpose. And Jesus uses two metaphors, the imagery of salt and then the imagery of light, to help us understand what it looks like for us to step into our identity. Not to become that person, but to allow who we are to come out to be true to our true self. You ready for this? Come on, salt and light. Let's unpack it together. Let me pray. Lord, as we go into this passage, there is like a gravitas. There is a profundity to this. There is a significance, kind of like a responsibility, maybe a weight, but it's also a glory, an honor, a privilege, and an invitation to every one of us. And every week, Lord, we come here on Sunday to be renewed in our, the clarity of who we are and what we're called to be about. And so, Lord, I pray that you would renew us. Where we've gotten distracted, where we've been deceived, where we've gotten discouraged, God, would you renew us? Renew our vision and renew our hearts. Lift up our spirits. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Come on now. Amen. Salt. Let's talk about Salt. What salt has to say? Jesus says in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth. What does he mean by that? Well, I want to just go back to John 17, 5, where Jesus says something else. So let's use Jesus to interpret Jesus. What does it mean that you are salt? Okay, here we go. John 17, Jesus says this My prayer is, Father, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. You got that? God hasn't put you here to take you out of the world. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. So the way we summarize this statement is, is you'll hear Christians say this this thing of like, we're called to be in the world, but not of it. Have you heard that? It's a very familiar phrase. And if you haven't heard it, it comes from this passage. We're called to be in the world. God didn't bring us to faith to then pull us together into a secret utopian commune safe from the dangers of the world. He called us to follow him so that we might be sent out into the world. But we're not called to go out into the world and become like everybody else. You are sent out to be different, to be distinct, to stand out. So let's talk about that. Salt, the metaphor of salt, emphasizes The first part of that statement, that we are called to be in the world. That you are salt means you are called to be in the world. And I want to explain why why that makes sense. When you you look at the way that salt is used, salt by itself really has no use. It's almost a useless thing. Just imagine sitting at a meal. And what's your favorite food to salt? Is it eggs? Do you like to salt your steak? Do you like the French fries? Yeah, come on. Come on. Yeah, French fries. Think of your favorite food that you love to add salt to. Maybe it's a chocolate chip cookie like I talked about earlier. We'll talk about that later. But guacamole, Guacamole? come on now. I'm, you know, I come from Mexican background and people go, gosh, how do you do your guacamole? Avocado, salt, done. It's that simple, really. (laughs) Let the salt speak for itself in the avocado. Here's the point. Salt, what salt is to food, you as a Christian are to the world. Now, imagine you're sitting with your favorite meal and you got your salt. Imagine you go, forget putting the salt in the food. I'm just gonna take a spoonful of that salt and just take a big bite. Can you just imagine how gross that would be? Why? Because salt outside the food is kind of useless. In the same way, as followers of Jesus, we have been redeemed. We have been salted with God's goodness to be in the world. Salt brings out the flavor in the world, If you go to Jojo's down in Encinitas, one of my favorite ice cream places, downtown Encinitas, Jojo's, J-O-J-O, check it out. Great ice cream, but their hidden secret actually is not their ice cream. It's these free little chocolate chip cookies with a little bit of caramel. And guess what? The secret sauce is sprinkled with a little salt. Now, it's not really the salt that you love. It's the way it makes the sweetness of the chocolate pop. Mm, give me some of that. It's just so good, it makes you just almost crave for it nightly. You just got to have that salty sweetness. But in the same way, you are God's flavor in the world. And you, as God's salt, bring out the sweetness of his goodness that is already invested in the world. For God's love, it says in the scriptures, fills the earth. The glory of God covers the earth. And you as salt bring out the sweetness of God's goodness in the lives, in the community, in the schools, on your sports team. You are on your sports team because you are God's salt on that team to bring out the goodness of God there. To bring the flavor of Jesus into that place. That's why I love to hand out lollipops after church. What does the Bible say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come on now. And Christians are meant to bring, all oh, that savory goodness to the world. Now, the funny thing is, if you were to take salt out of its context, not only Jesus says it becomes useless, but when people invaded a town and wanted to destroy that town, do you know what they would do if they really wanted to destroy that town in ancient days? They would destroy the town, but then they would salt the ground, and they would pour tons of salt on it so nothing would grow. Check that out. Salt in super high concentration, not where it belongs, actually, is yucky and prevents life from flourishing. Christians are not meant to be clumped up together. We're meant to come together to encourage each other and then to go out and salt our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces with the flavor of Jesus. Come on now. The temptation for us, then, is to withdraw. Because salt that's not in the food is not serving its purpose. The temptation for us as believers is to withdraw from the world. Why? What tempts us to withdraw? Think about it for a minute. What has tempted you to withdraw from the world around you? And by world, I don't mean the physical earth like the beach or the mountains. I mean the culture and society of humanity that is living and seeking a human flourishing without God and his wisdom. The world the secular human culture of our time, that you can't escape. It is everywhere around us. What tempts you to want to withdraw? And there's two things I want to highlight. Number one, we're tempted when the evil one deceives us that to protect ourselves, we've got to withdraw from the world. And this was relevant to early Christians because they were persecuted. And the temptation was because they're being persecuted to withdraw from the world, to stay safe, to sort of create a Christian gated community with a code that nobody else knows to lock everybody else out. There's some irony in there, but I won't go into that. Secondly, there is the temptation to withdraw because, well, to preserve our faith, we're deep down afraid that if we're out in the world hanging out with non believers in environments that are not primarily Christian, that we're going to lose our faith. And we have this misguided notion. That will preserve our faith the further we withdraw from the world and huddle up with other believers and just hunker down in a Christian bubble and wait for Jesus to return. And Jesus' vision of our lives and our purpose is that we flourish best when we are in the world, seasoning the world with the goodness of Jesus. Where are you tempted to withdraw? To either preserve or protect yourself or your family? I want you to take for a moment, or where are you being challenged to not, you know, to go into a place that is maybe a challenge for you because it challenges your faith? Where's that place? Either one. Take 15 seconds, share with a neighbor where you're tempted to either withdraw or where you see God pressing you into a place to be his salt. That's a challenge for you. Go ahead and share, just real quick. Give me a chance to drink some water. you got something going? All right. If someone, if you're the one doing all the talking, maybe ask your friend or your new neighbor after service. Hey, uh, you didn't get a chance to share, but share it with me. Because hopefully every time we come together, we're not just hearing God's message, but we're getting to know one another more. And that is one of the reasons why we gather together. Uh, So um, let's go on to the next one. Okay, so if that's salt, It is that we are in the world, and the temptation for us is that we might withdraw. That's where we lose our saltiness. It's by withdrawing. Let's talk about light. Listen to this, what Jesus says here. Verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. Verse 14, this emphasizes the second half of the statement. You are, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We're called to be like salt out in the world, but there's the challenge of not becoming like everyone else. And so Jesus uses the imagery of light. Because when it's dark, the light, your eyes just naturally gravitate towards the light. The light represents this call on our life to be different and distinct, to be willing to shine and stand out. Now, a part of us loves to stand out. Come on now. We all like to get singled out of the crowd. You know what I mean? When that special somebody out of all the other women, all the other guys is attracted to you, boom, I want to go out with you. You know, like the, like a, the bachelor episode or, or when that boss promotes you or when the coach picks you to start the game or to come off the bench, or when the teacher highlights your achievement, or we all love to get highlighted and called out of the crowd. The challenge for us is standing out for the glory of God. There is something about us that you'll notice that it's one thing to stand out for our own achievement, but there's something challenging sometimes to allow our life to stand out for the glory, not of ourselves, but of God that can be a challenge why is that a challenge why do you feel sometimes the challenge to stand out from the crowd because of your relationship to jesus why can it be so hard what makes it hard for you at times okay can you can you guys go with me and just share with someone next to you just share what's one thing that makes that hard for you Take, take a shot at it go for it and don't say it's never hard for me come on now let's be honest what makes it hard for you? Yeah. All right. A little something there? Listen. being hidden. When Jesus talks about this, let's go back to the passage real quick. Listen to what Jesus is saying here. He goes, look, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. What's he saying? When you are my disciple, watch out because you won't be able to hide anymore. You're going to stand out. You're going to begin to draw attention in ways that you maybe didn't expect. Now listen to what he goes on to say. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. What's he talking about here? Now, look, this whole idea of being hidden, being hidden is about our temptation to want to blend in, to want to fit in and be like everyone else. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1 if I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. We get so caught up in trying to please everybody that we start to lose our convictions and hide who we are. What our power, as one scholar put it, in the world lies in our difference from it. The early church started as this ragamuffin group that Jesus is talking about. These nobodies. But pretty soon, their values that were counter-cultural to the entire Roman Empire. Let me give you some examples of some of their values that we take for granted today. Number one the value of staying in your marriage. Oh, I was like, no, 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 just don't worry about it. We just move on. That was a real big challenge. You'll see when Jesus talks about that with his disciples, they're like, well, if you're supposed to stay in your marriage, who should you even bother getting married? They're like, what? Loving the poor and caring for the marginalized. Empires at the time didn't value that because it would weaken the government, sort of like a natural selection. Let the weak die off. But it was Christians who were called to reach out and build up the weak and the marginalized and the hurting. It was Christians that were reaching out and taking babies into their families. And it, and it upset the Roman government because the Roman government had a practice of infanticide, putting babies out on the road that they didn't want, that they deemed weak, weak to the Roman Empire's purposes, so they would discard these babies. And it was a normal practice. It wasn't illegal, it was just like, whatever, do it. And it was Christians going out, and they were distinguished and known by their willingness to bring those children in. It was setting them apart, and it offended people, and it upset them, because you're weakening our empire by keeping these weaker people as a part of it. Do you see what I'm saying? It scandalized them, their sexual ethics was scandalous. The commitment of generosity was scandalous to the point where people thought, these guys are dangerous. That's what makes it hard for us to let our light shine and tempts us to hide. I want to highlight two things. Listen, we're called to let our light shine, and Jesus is clear in what way. We're not called to shine with the power of our personal opinions or our personal preferences. We're called to shine in a very specific way. Look what Jesus says, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. And then he qualifies it, that they may see your what? Your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Your good deeds. Your deeds that are marked, deeds that are marked by faithfulness, deeds that are seasoned with gentleness Deeds that are defined by generosity. Deeds that are imbued with peace. Guarded by patience. And strengthened by self-control. Charged and electrified with love. Energized with joy. And anchored by kindness. Come on now. You hear that? You hear that list? Come on. Come on now those are the good deeds. Those, if you're ever confused, what are the good deeds in this moment? Go back to the the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, is it faithful? Is it gentle? Is it generous? Is it joyful? Is it kind? Is it loving? If you're committing to a course of actions that are not producing a peacefulness about your spirit, you might be doing the right thing in the wrong way. Come on now. Good deeds, not defined by our own preferences, but defined by the fruit of the Spirit in the Scriptures, the Word of God. Come on, good deeds. Good deeds shining. And what makes it tempting to hide those good deeds? You're like, come on, Ryan. Why would I be tempted to hide my good deeds? Actually, I want everyone to see my good deeds. Don't we? (laughs) We want everyone to see us. This sweet little girl. These twins. As an example, as a very young age, these twins. I go, oh, you guys are twins? You guys are little partners? And the girl goes, yeah, but he's my little brother, because I'm one minute older. <laughs> so cute. But these good deeds are tempting to hide and not showcase for two reasons. Number one, because we resist the good deed itself. The good deed comes at a cost and a price that we're afraid to pay. Because it costs us... Fr- the entitlement to hold bitterness against somebody that we need to forgive. It comes at the cost of accruing material goods for our own sake and being generous with those who are in need. That comes at a cost. That's hard. It's hard to let that shine. It's hard to let the good deed of sharing the name of Jesus with people who don't know him It's hard to ever name Jesus with people who don't know. Think about this. I would talk to students at UCSD when I was discipling students, and I'd say three months into the school year, do you have friends with whom you have never said the name of Jesus with? I don't mean like, Jesus, you know, just jam it down their you know, throat, just like shock them with it, you know, like behind a closed door. Hey, Jesus. But I mean where you're kind of hiding the truth about who you are. It's not about forcing on people, but you've been kind of hiding it. And that leads us to the second point. We resist a good deed because it comes at a cost. Number two, because we're embarrassed. We're embarrassed to give glory to God and draw explicit attention to our relationship with Jesus. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been embarrassed to give credit? Maybe in this moment you're not afraid for people to see the good deed, but You're embarrassed to associate that good deed with your relationship with Jesus. Come on now. You ever been there? Okay, so I'll I'll give you an example. I was at a family gathering, and I was invited as a young 20-year-old, you know, a minister on campus to pray for the family meal. I was with my wife's family, one of our first holidays together, and there's a lot of family members from different religious backgrounds, and I was asked to pray over the Easter meal. I'm like, okay, here we go. So here's the good deed. I'm going to pray. I'm praying. There's a good deed. I'm praying out loud and for everybody, right? That's good. So I'm praying. Thank you, God, for family. Thank you for the food. Thank you for the day to be together. Amen. And then my cousin-in-law, my sister's cousin, who was on her journey to becoming a Christian, tugs on my arm and goes, and thank you for Jesus's death and resurrection, right? And she didn't mean it as a stick. She was like, isn't that... She was just checking with me. (laughs) And I was like, ooh. In that little moment, Evangelist Ryan, I'd stood in front of hundreds of students. I had, by that point, open air preached on college campuses in the middle of the campus by myself. And there I was, embarrassed and afraid. Now, Yeah, sometimes the whole idea of I don't want to offend people, yeah, you don't want to offend people, but sometimes it's an excuse to hide our embarrassment. We're just embarrassed of people knowing. Do you have a friend, a teammate, who has never heard you just mention the name of Jesus before? I want to encourage you. Just pray about those spaces in your life where maybe you've been hiding the light of God in you. Come on now. Now, as you go into this, I want to just get you to reflect, where is that place for you that God is sending you out as his salt and light? I want to invite the band to come out. and As the band comes out, I want to just give you something to think about. What does it mean that your life is imbued with this transcendent, eternal, and supernatural purpose of being God's salt and light? in your life. And where's Jesus, not like challenging you and like, hey, you need to do more. You need to be better. Where Jesus is saying, you're free. Like I want to set you free to be who you really are as his son and daughter. Come on now.